Jesus once asked some fishermen to leave their nets and follow him. This meant they had to change their identity and their focus. They had to learn the ways of a new work, to connect their hearts to a new mission, to build new relationships, to give their time and resources, and allow a new character to be built within them. We may not be fishermen, but Jesus still calls us to and disciples us in a new life. So, will you leave your net when Jesus asks you? How do you see yourself? When I was 29, I got hired to be um, the lead pastor in my first multi-staff church. This is a picture of it, Zion Covenant in Jamestown. I could only find one of it at Christmas, but you get the picture. It's a pretty impressive, pretty historic church, and I was a little overwhelmed. In fact, I sort of thought the people were crazy when they hired me. And I can remember sitting in my office, which was wood paneled, had its own bathroom. I mean, I had arrived, and I just kept waiting for the day when the real pastor came in and said, get your feet off my desk. Um, and so I mean, it was kind of funny, but I really did have trouble seeing myself in my new role because I thought of myself as just being me. You know, I'm just Michael. And I was actually talking to one of my staff members one day, telling them that I was just having trouble with this. And they said, you just need to remember that you might just think of yourself only as Michael, but they think of you as the pastor. And I thought, that's true. Even though they referred to us as the kids, they treated me like I was the pastor. And what I needed to do is just kind of get over myself and inhabit the role and change my perception of myself. Now, maybe you feel totally confident in your role at this stage of your life. And even if you do, what I want to do is to challenge your perception of yourself. Do you perceive yourself as being an instrument of God? throughout your workday? Do you, do you think of yourself as being a part of God's plan for the people that you'll come into contact with? Because I think we should. We're in the sermon series in response to Easter. I mean, living into the resurrection called Leaving Your Nets. And it's a reference to the first disciples that Jesus called who were fishermen. And they were down at the Sea of Galilee, literally just, you know, hauling fish in or cleaning their nets or something like that. And Jesus' call, come and follow me, meant that they had to decide whether they were going to leave their nets and go and follow him or keep on with the nets. So Jesus invites us into the same journey. Come follow me. Come do what I do. And invites us to leave our metaphorical nets and follow him because he shows us a better way to live. Jesus shows us that lives can be changed. People can be transformed by an encounter with the risen Christ. Jesus shows us that God's alive and he's active among us, that God's doing a new thing, that God's doing a good thing, and that God has a plan and a purpose and he's going to accomplish it. And God's spreading hope and peace and joy and healing throughout the world through the Holy Spirit working through people whose lives have been changed. That's you. That's me. That's us. We're an instrument of God. We're a part of God's plan. We've each been divinely 
called and divinely placed to be where God wants us in a specific context. You're called to be where you are. We could have called this bloom where you're planted. It's kind of the same idea. But it's kind of stunning if you think about it. You're not where you are in your life situation, in your life context, with the friends that you have, in the work situation that you have by accident. God put you there. And God is using you there. Or at least God wants to. But before we go any further, how many people ever have days or moments when you're not at your best? How many people are grumpy sometimes? How many people sometimes react poorly? How many people have needed to go back and apologize for something that you did or said? Yeah, that, that's what I thought. Okay, so we're all in the same boat. And I want to remind you, before we talk about being used by God in his plan and purposes, of talking about batting averages a couple of weeks ago. We're never going to be perfect at this. That's discipleship, right? We continue to grow. As long as our batting average is getting better, we're headed in the right direction. So we're not looking for perfection. Really what we're looking for is effort. So we're going to be looking this morning at a short passage out of the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, where Paul writes, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, moving forward, I'm just going to keep using the word work. That's going to be shorthand. Uh, whatever you're doing in your life right now, think of that as being your work. Some of you do work, some of you are retired, some of you are staying at home with your kids, but we all have some sort of work. So I'm not going to go into this big, long explanation of work or staying home or whatever. Just when I say work, just think about what you feel called to do. So Paul writes, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's important that we're doing everything in the name of Jesus because we represent Jesus. And Jesus empowers us to do that. And so lots of times as we face our day or as we face choices or what our attitude is going to be, a lot of times we can think, can I, should I do this as a representative of Jesus? And we want to talk about our everyday lives, our work lives, because that's where the rubber meets the road. It's really easy to be the people that we want to be in church. It's really easy to be the people that we want to be when we're on vacation. But work is where the rubber meets the road. So I just want to give us a couple of thoughts, a couple of bullet points about how we can represent Jesus where we are, how we can be a part of being God's call in those places. The first, and I don't know if these are in any particular order, they're just the way that it occurred to me, but the first might be the most important. Be honest. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cut corners. And I, I, I say those things, and you may think, yeah, you don't understand what it's like at my workplace. If I didn't cut corners, if we didn't cheat, if we didn't lie a little bit here and there, we would never sell anything, or we wouldn't make our numbers, or I get in trouble with my boss. We're expected to do those things. But if that's how you feel, then I have a question for you. And the question is, how much is your integrity worth to you? Is it worth less than your paycheck? Is it worth less than your lifestyle? One of my friends, uh, when I was growing up, his mom worked as an administrative assistant for a guy pretty high up in a corporation. 
And one day, uh, she was in his office and the phone rang and she answered the phone and you know, said, this is so-and-so's office. And uh, he heard who it was and he said, tell him I'm out. And my friend's mom, his administrative assistant says, hold on a second, he's right here. And so she hands the phone to him. And of course, he's really, really mad at her because he's like, I told you to say that I'm not here. So she goes back out to her office and he talks to the guy on the phone. And then he comes out afterwards and he says, I told you to tell him I wasn't there. And she looked at him and she said, has it ever occurred to you that if I will lie for you, that I'll also lie to you? I mean, that's really profound. Our integrity is really important to us. And if you're, an, if you're a person of integrity, it will always pay dividends. Because someday, something is going to happen that could be something bad, that could be laid at your door. And if you're a person of integrity, people will go, should never do that. That's just not him. There's no way that that happened. And at that moment, your integrity will be priceless. But your integrity also reflects on Jesus. And I'll probably say it three or four times. I hear over and over again how people don't have a problem with Jesus. People have a problem with people who say they follow Jesus. And if we're not people of integrity, if we'll cheat, if we'll lie, if we'll cut corners, that reflects badly on us. It also reflects badly on Jesus. Be honest and take the high road always, always, always. The high road isn't always the most fun road, but you will never regret taking the high road. Honesty also has another dynamic. Sometimes, like maybe your supervisor, maybe your boss, maybe you own the company, principal, whatever, sometimes you have to share hard things. And that's when it's really important to speak the truth but to do it in love. I've known a lot of people who thought of themselves as being straight shooters. And I remember this one woman named Dorothy. And um, we were having a conflict one day. And she, she said something that was really hurtful. And she said, I just call it how I see it. And I thought, no, Dorothy, you're just a jerk. And that's how people come across like that. You know, it, it's the highest value has to be speaking the truth, but doing it in love. And that being able to do that is actually a mark of Christian maturity. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul writes, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. We can learn to be truthful, but to tell the truth in love. We can learn to give feedback, even critical feedback to people, and still do it in a way that doesn't devastate them or end up making us look like jerks. Next point, be good. Not just morally, I mean be good at what you do. Are you the type of employee that your boss knows will do a good job all the time? Can your boss give you a project and know that you will see it through and it will be done well? Do you have to be constantly reminded, not just about the special projects, but about the regular aspects of your job? And if you're not good at some aspect of your job, because we all have to do stuff that we're not good at or that we don't want to do, just try to grow in that. At the very least, in every aspect of your job, even the stuff you're not good at, at least show that you're trying your best. 
We should bring excellence with us in everything that we do, particularly in the workplace, because it reflects back on Jesus and it reflects back on who we are as people. Bring excellence to your workplace. I used to um, go to church with a guy who was one of the most spiritual people I have ever met. I mean, he was so spiritual, it was almost painful how spiritual he was. And I talked to one of his co-workers one day, because I'm like, I wonder what this guy is, is like at work. And one of his co-workers said, everybody hates him. I'm like, why? And it's like, it's not because he talks about God all the time, it's because he doesn't try. He doesn't work very hard. He cuts all of the corners. And so it didn't matter how spiritual he was, all anybody ever saw was just he was a terrible employee. So be the best employee you can be. Be excellent in everything that you do. And if you can't do something well, at least do your best. Next bullet point, care. This seems kind of like, well, duh. But the more I hang around people, the more I'm aware that a lot of people don't feel like anybody cares about them. A lot of people feel invisible. Don Meyer, a friend of mine, was a captain of industry in the town that we lived in. And he had, you know, at the front, he worked in a, at a plant, and he had a parking place right at the front of the plant. You know, had his name on it, it was under a covered thing. He could walk, you know, out, out of the snow and out of the rain, straight into the building, and he never parked there. Every day when he went to work, he parked around the back of the building where the rest of the employees parked. And every day, he walked through the warehouse and the production floor and talked to every single person that he could. He asked them about their day. He asked them about their family. He asked them about how things were going. And people loved him because he took the time to invest personally in people. Now, maybe you can't do that. I mean, maybe you can, but maybe you can care about the person who sits across from you. And maybe you can show interest in the person that's in the same class with you. I mean, it's just so easy to blow by people, particularly if we perceive that they're not on the same level as we are. But it was amazing how many opportunities Don had just to love on people, let alone being able to share about his faith because he had already demonstrated that he cared about people. Next, be strategic. I think in every relationship, we shouldn't have an agenda, but at the same time, we shouldn't miss opportunities. And I think about this, that we used to talk about friendship evangelism. And the idea was to make friends with people so that you could have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And at some level, that always disturbed me. Because I know if somebody was friends with me that had an agenda beyond just wanting to be friends with me, even if it was a positive agenda, I'd probably feel used. And I'd probably not feel really good about that. So what I think we should do is just love on people and share who we are, be available to talk about Jesus, be available to talk about spiritual things, but not to force it artificially. But also times will come up where people will ask questions. If people know that you love and care about them, if people have learned that you are a person of faith and a person of integrity, you'll be surprised the things that people will ask you. And then walk through that door. You know, it's, it's said that St. Francis said 
uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. There's absolutely no evidence that St. Francis ever said that. And the idea is great, live your life in such a way that everything you do reflects Jesus. But the reality is sometimes you gotta use words. And it's easy to use words when you've already developed a relationship, when you've shown who you are, people know you care and they approach you. So be strategic, don't have an agenda, don't do weird Christian things, but be available to the opportunities that come across uh, your path. Next, be a faithful representative especially in these crazy days, keep in mind what the gospel really is and what the gospel is not. And reflect who Jesus actually is and what Jesus's priorities actually are. I think one of the ways that we can do this um, that will surprise people, you can be friends with people who disagree with you. And if you can't be friends with people who disagree with you, that actually says more about you than it says about them. I heard a comedian say something the other day that I, I thought was really true, it made me stop and think. He said, if you run across three jerks in a day, the jerk is actually you. I'll let you think about that for a little while. You can be friends with people who disagree with you. You can be friends with people who see things differently than you do. Faithfully represent who Jesus is. Jesus is not a politician. Jesus is not behind a lot of social uh, engagement. Jesus is the person who loves and cares for people. And that's what we need to present. Jesus spent a lot of time with people who weren't like him. Jesus spent a lot of time with people who had different values and different lifestyles. And again, over and over I hear, we like Jesus, it's his people that we have trouble with. So make sure that you're accurately representing who Jesus is. Next, recognize your gift. I mean, think about this. Let this soak in for just a minute. When you go to work, you are a gift from God that is sent into that situation. What gift are you bringing with you? It, it might be the gift of caring. It might be the gift of perspective, helping, see pe helping people see something from a, a broader God-oriented perspective. It might be the gift of encouragement. You're a gift when you go to work. What are you bringing with you? Maybe you wanna ask yourself as you go to work, as you drive in, walk in the front door, what am I bringing to work today? What gift do I have that I can bring that God could use? And then realize that you might be an answer to prayer in your workplace. And don't take your eyes off of this. I mean, I have no idea how many times I have prayed, God, would you bring a positive influence into this person's life? Would you bring some Jesus follower into this person's life? Lots of people pray those prayers. I mean, parents call me when their kids move to town and they're like, is there anybody that could connect with my kid? I'm praying for somebody at their work. I'm praying for a friend who will love Jesus. You might be the answer to that prayer that somebody is praying in the way that you treat the people that you work with. In everything that you do, in word and deed, do it as unto the Lord Jesus. And then Paul goes on and says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Throughout the scriptures, there is this refrain of giving thanks. We, give, we thank somebody when they've done something for us. 
And with what God has done for us, we're supposed to live our entire lives in response to that, being thankful for everything that God has done for us. That's, that's our posture. I, I think there are two aspects that allow us to be thankful. The first is learning to be content. I think sometimes we just need to look around and go, for here, for now, this is my lot in life. This is where God has me. But that's where we get into trouble. See, we're on this ladder, and our tendency is, you know, climbing to success. Our tendency is to look on the people that are higher up on the ladder than we are, when really what we need to do is look at the people who are lower on the ladder. Look down, not up, for a really good perspective. Um, a couple months ago, I told you something in a sermon that, folks, is just flat out wrong. And, and I want to just confess that to you today. Last year, um, when we were in Santa Barbara, I was sitting out at one of our favorite beach cafes, and I looked out, and in the harbor off of Santa Barbara was Jerry Jones's yacht. Jerry Jones's yacht is 300 feet long. It is $250 million. And I said that you, no matter how big your boat is, you will not be able to compete with Jerry Jones. He will always win. I've discovered that is simply not true. Some of the yachts purportedly belonging to Russian oligarchs make Jerry Jones's yacht look like a dinghy. There's always going to be somebody with a bigger boat. And you will always be dissatisfied, even if yours is worth $200 million. There's just no end game in looking up at what you don't have. And the reality is that 99.99% of everyone listening to my voice has everything that we need and most of what we want. Which leads to the second aspect, which helps us to be thankful, and that is count your blessings. God granted you this day, whatever the challenges were, that's a blessing. Do you have a job? Even if it's not perfect, even if you have frustrating coworkers, that's a blessing. Do you have people that care about you, even if sometimes they drive you crazy? That's a blessing. Were you able to make a contribution to a goal? Did you help someone? Did you see a bald eagle circling and soaring overhead? Did you have to walk six miles to get fresh water today? Those are all blessings. So here's my challenge to you to help us get better at thankfulness. For the next week, every night before you go to bed, sit down and think through your day and count your blessings. And it might surprise you what the Lord has done. So let me ask you three questions. What is something in your life that you could be more thankful for? Number two, what gift do you bring with you to work? And number three, what is the current mission that Jesus has for you where you work?